Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 78. Famous Last Words. So, Septimius Severus has defeated one of his major rivals for the throne and is about to take on the other. I don't think I'm giving anything away by telling you that he will come out on top. So let's find out a little more about him and his family. Lucius Septimius Severus was born in Lepsis Magna in North Africa into a family of equestrian rank during the early years of the reign of Antoninus Pius. His father was not a patrician, but he had two cousins, Publius and Gaius, who were in Rome and doing well. These two men sponsored the young man's career. Lucius was intelligent and very hard-working, and he flourished. When the Antonine Plague hit Rome, he left to go back to Lepsis Magna. The plague killed so many important people that, when it was safe to return to Rome, there were an awful lot of good jobs available. In 173, he was accepted as a senator. He became governor of Galla Lugdunensis and Sicily. Severus was a short man, but powerfully built and full of energy. He was also intelligent and quick-witted, and, as we have already discovered, fiercely ambitious and completely ruthless. Severus had married in the 170s, but his wife died in 186 and they had no children. This is when his ambitions seemed to come to life. Severus believed in magic, mysticism and in people who said they could see into the future. One ancient seer had said there was a woman in the east that was destined to marry a king, and Severus decided that he must be the lucky husband. He set off, found her and persuaded her to marry him. Julia Domna was descended from Eastern royalty and was very intelligent and loved poetry and art. She and Severus were married. Julia Domna would become one of the most loved empresses in Roman history. She was a truly remarkable woman. If you want to learn a little bit more about her, then please go to www.historypodcasters.com and listen to the History Collage. In episode 1 of the Famous Women series, I present a short piece on her and her family. I will post it to the podcast feed at the appropriate time. Julia's father was a high priest in the cult of the sun god El Gabul. One of her great-nephews would attempt to make this the religion of the whole empire when he became emperor in 218. When she became empress, Julia supported artists and philosophers and made sure the cultural life in the Roman world was available to the citizens. She and Severus were very happy together, and their marriage was one of the most successful of any in the long history of Roman emperors. Julia gave birth to two sons in quick succession in 188 and 189. She would end up sad and broken by them, but she spent many years being the mother of the empire. Julia had a sister called Julia Mesa, whose life we will hear a lot more about in a future chapter. Septimius Severus and his family moved around the empire as his career went from strength to strength. They ended up in Pannonia, where he was made governor. When first Commodus and then Pertinax were murdered, he got his chance. The prophecy came true, but it was, in part, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Severus was determined and highly focused on his goal. After defeating Niger, Severus decided to have a proper war with foreigners, so he picked on the Parthians. He easily won a few small battles and returned to Rome to celebrate a triumph. Niger had been defeated and Severus had a popularity boosting by a foreign victory under his belt. In 195 he played his trump card. He made his son Bossianus Caesar. The boy would now be the next emperor. Albinus was furious and was hailed as Augustus by his troops. 
he started to march the British legions towards Rome for a battle with Severus. The new emperor also set off with his army, and the two sides met near Lugdunum. The battle was closely fought and both armies were led by highly intelligent, capable generals, but eventually the Severan troops were too strong and Albinus was defeated. He went back to Lugdunum and realised it was over. He killed himself in early 197. Severus had his head cut off and sent back to Rome to remind everyone what happened to people who messed with him. Septimius Severus was now the undisputed leader of the civilised world. Severus knew that it was the army who had brought him to power, and he never forgot it. His whole philosophy revolved around ensuring the soldiers were treated well. He always played top dollar, and he let them know they were the most important people in the empire. This is another of the things that contributed to the crisis of the 3rd century, as we will see. Once Albinus had been defeated, Severus had no challengers. He was the emperor of a huge empire and had to run it effectively. This, though, wasn't the new emperor's idea of fun. Also, he had actually won the throne quite easily in the end. Through drive and determination, backed up by a lot of careful scheming, he had gained the ultimate prize. This made him understandably fearful that someone else may be able to do the same thing. He set about firming up his control over his new domains. First, he had the audacity to declare that he was the adopted son of Marcus Aurelius. This was, of course, total hogwash, but he got away with it. One unfortunate side effect of this was that mad old Commodus's memory was rehabilitated. Only a few years had passed since the end of his crazy reign, but now he was the new emperor's adopted brother. The senators mocked this folly, but there wasn't a whole lot they could do about it. Severus, although he professed to want to avoid executions, had quite a few of the senators convicted of treason and killed. The emperor then stationed a legion in Italy near Rome. This is another example of how far the empire had moved away from the days of the Republic. Julius Caesar and others had broken the law when they even took troops temporarily into Italy. Now Septimius Severus was stationing a permanent army there. This was passed off as being a strategic reserve army, but in reality it was there to protect the emperor against a provincial mutiny. The pay of the soldiers was raised to keep them loyal. He changed the rules completely, allowing soldiers to marry and further cementing a purely military career path. More equestrians were promoted to be legionary commanders. Severus knew his arrival into the top job was entirely due to the troops and he had to keep them on side. He later divided both Britain and Syria in half, creating two provinces from one. This helped to split the legionary resources in the two areas which had been supportive of his rivals. Lucius Septimius Severus was a very interesting man. I have to admit, he is one of my favourite emperors. He was a man of extremes. Looking back at his reign, it's clear he created a well-run, secure and consistent empire. People knew where they stood under Severus. If a crime was committed then the perpetrator could expect severe justice. On the other hand, law-abiding citizens could live in peace and prosperity, and the new army was a very fine career choice for ambitious young men. Severus, though, seems to have been constantly discontented. He only perked up when he had a war to plan. As his sons grew up, he realised that despite the education and training he'd provided for them, they were useless, selfish losers. No matter what he did, he couldn't change them and teach them how to be good potential emperors. He could see the car crash that was their joint reign coming, and there was nothing he could do about it. So Severus did the one thing he knew would make himself feel better. 
he went and planned a war. He handed over the actual daily running of the empire to his friend, the Praetorian prefect Gaius Fulvius Plautianus, and went to fight the Parthians again. Plautianus came from the emperor's hometown of Lepsis Magna, and the prefect may even have been a relative of the emperor. The victories over the Parthians and Clodius Albinus had been followed by tours of the eastern provinces, including Egypt. Plautianus accompanied Severus everywhere throughout the travels, and by the year 201, he was the emperor's closest confidant and adviser. Plautianus was also the only Praetorian prefect. Usually there were two, but Plautianus had arranged the murder of his last colleague in the post. Volagarses of Parthia had taken over and occupied Mesopotamia. There hadn't been much resistance from Rome during the fractured times of Commodus and the civil war which exploded after the death of Pertinax. When Severus marched into Parthia, though, he found the Parthians were divided and resistance was limited. Severus and his marauding army sacked Babylon and Tisiphon along with many other cities. Then the legions went into Mesopotamia, where they had much more trouble with the city of Hatra. After a couple of hard years, Severus decided he wasn't going to get anywhere, so he did what any great commander should do under the circumstances. He found a way of painting the whole thing as a great victory and started for home. He created a new province of Mesopotamia and then toured the east visiting Egypt, Arabia, Palestine and Syria. When he got to Rome, he celebrated a triumph in which his two sons played a significant role. It's time to introduce these two young men. Lucius Septimius Bossianus was born on the 4th of April 188. Never in his lifetime, and certainly not within earshot, was he called by the nickname he acquired, the name by which he is known today, Caracalla. He received the nickname because of the Gallic coats of that name that he liked to wear. Publius Septimius Gedda was born just 11 months later. Both grew up to be nasty, lazy, cruel and fun-seeking monsters, and to cap it all, hated each other. After his victories, Septimius Severus ordered the building of a really terrific triumphal arch which celebrated his triumphs and promoted the worth of his sons. The arch is probably my favourite of the ancient Roman structures which still stand in the Roman Forum today. It tells the story of his Parthian campaigns but it also gives us an insight into a dysfunctional family which the father tried and failed to keep harmonious. We will see why in the next chapter. While Severus was travelling through the Eastern Empire as part of his campaign against the Parthians, he came upon a Thracian who wanted to show how strong he was and how he could be of use as a soldier. This man was said to be over eight feet tall and very, very strong. He probably wasn't this large, this is the stuff of legend, but Severus told the Thracian to wrestle against his best soldiers and he beat them all, and he beat them easily. The Emperor was very impressed. The same thing happened the next day, and the emperor allowed the Thracian to join the legions. Over the next few years, this barbarian did very well, and eventually commanded legions. Later on in our story, we will see just how well he did, because 40 years later, this man, who we know as Maximinius Thrax, would rise to even greater power. As Severus waged war, Plautianus managed the empire. If anyone wanted anything done in the Severan court, they had to go to Plautianus. He happily confiscated the property of executed senators and made himself very rich. He also managed to get his daughter married to Caracalla. Caracalla hated Plautianus and he hated his new wife, Plauti Plautina. He told anyone who would listen that when he became emperor, he would kill them both. 
Plautianus became so powerful that people began to be very afraid of him and would do what he told them to do, not what the emperor told them to do. He was becoming as powerful as Sejanus had been during the reign of Tiberius. Many people tried to warn Severus that Plautianus was a corrupt and bad man, but Severus told them he loved and trusted this man more than any other in Rome. It wasn't until the emperor's own brother, Septimius Gedda, who was on his deathbed, told Severus what Plautianus was really like, that Severus was forced to change his mind. He listened to his brother and finally believed what he was being told. Caracalla then invented a story that Plautianus was planning a revolt, even though he wasn't. He brought forward three centurions, who told the emperor that Plautianus was trying to have him killed. Plautianus, unsurprisingly, was summoned to the palace and asked to explain what was going on. He told Severus the stories weren't true, which of course they weren't. Caracalla punched Plautianus while he was talking and drew his sword ready to kill the prefect, but Severus stepped in and ordered that one of his soldiers do the deed. Plautianus was executed and his body thrown into the street. Caracalla and Gedda were delighted. Severus had named them as his successors and wished they would rule together. Unfortunately, as we've heard, they hated each other. They really hated each other. The only thing they agreed on was how much they hated Plautianus. Now that he was dead, they had nothing in common at all and started to hate each other in public. These two were serious teenage monsters. All they wanted to do was cheer on the charioteers, drink, gamble and generally have a good time. Although not together, of course. Their father didn't like how they were turning out and their poor mother, Julia, just wanted them to get along. In 208, Septimius Severus was delighted to hear the news there was a revolt in Britain caused by some tribes from Scotland. This meant he could fight one more nice war before he died and he could take Gedda and Caracalla with him and maybe knock some sense into them. The boys, now 19 and 20, were not entirely happy about this but they had no choice and so the Severan family set off for a nice trip to Britain. Severus himself was not too well. He had a very bad case of gout which meant that he couldn't walk and had to be carried everywhere. The historical record of the dispute which caused the emperor to travel with a huge army to Britain is not actually that clear. Some sources indicate there was no more than normal barbarian activity on the northerly outpost of the empire. Some indicate the situation was very grave. Given Severus's ability to mould the situation to his own desires, it seems highly likely there was not actually too much trouble, but that he fancied a nice war and a family team-building exercise. There is a record of the governor having to buy peace from a tribe called the Mate, who lived near the Antonine Wall. Cassius Dio tells us that Septimius Severus intended to conquer the whole island, even though he knew all previous attempts had failed. When they arrived in Caledonia, which is what the Romans called Scotland, the legions tried to fight, but the Scottish tribes wouldn't come out and have a good battle. They just rushed out of nowhere, launched a quick attack and ran off back to the hills. Severus decided that if they wouldn't fight, he'd just keep marching northward and kill all of them. Yep, he planned to exterminate the entire population of Caledonia. The boys, of course, were hating every minute of their family trip. Scotland was cold and wet and they didn't like military life or anything that it entailed. Most of all, they didn't like each other and they were highly annoyed their father was making them spend so much time together. It was already clear that Caracalla was determined to get rid of his brother and may even have tried to kill his father too, while they were in truce negotiations with the Caledonians. 
After two years, the Romans had managed to kill off a lot of Scots, but had lost about 50,000 of their own men. In February 211, Lucius Septimius Severus began to feel very unwell. After a brief illness, the 65-year-old emperor died while resting in York, and so became the first, but not the last, Roman emperor to die in Britain. As he lay dying, he gave his sons some advice. He said, Live in harmony with each other, enrich the soldiers, and despise all other men. Septimius Severus was a good, energetic and hard-working emperor. He did his best to rule his domains well and fairly, and was generally very successful. He restored the pride and feeling of invincibility of the army, and he built extensively. Many of the provinces received fine new buildings, especially his hometown of Lepsis Magna. Severus created some of the conditions, though, which caused the empire to descend into chaos. His changes, both in the outlook and the workings of the empire, were an extension of those put in place by Marcus Aurelius, and the parallels are stark. In both cases, the changes they made were fine, while there was a strong, right-minded and consistent emperor on the throne. Severus improved the lot of the soldiers, creating an army that was loyal to him as he was in control of their livelihood. He disbanded the old corrupt Praetorian Guard and introduced one four times the size made up of the finest provincial soldiers. He divided the provinces so that no one commander had enough military force to take over. While he was in charge, all this was fine. When weaker and less conscientious leaders sat on the throne, things deteriorated. The divided legions were less able to cope with the barbarians. The lessening of the number of troops under a single commander actually made it more likely that a rebellion could occur. If a commander could be declared emperor and then get to Rome quickly, then he could cement his position. The lack of a unified deterrent made this possible, and many tried. As we've said, there was no problem for the 18 years Severus was in charge. When his useless sons came to the throne, though, they proved to be far less capable. Septimius Severus often criticised Marcus Aurelius for allowing Commodus to be his successor. Ironically, he was faced with exactly the same problem and he chose exactly the same solution. The results were, unsurprisingly, exactly the same. Next time, we'll see just how long the joint rule of Caracalla and Geda actually lasts. If you'd like to contact me with any feedback or questions, then please do so at mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. Please go to the website for this podcast, www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. There you will find the latest two top trumps cards for Didius Julianus and Pertinax. Please let me know what you think. Any debate over the Emperor's relative merits is always fun. Also at the website you will find donation and subscription buttons. This podcast will always remain free, but if you'd like to donate or subscribe any amount which you think is appropriate, then please go to the website and do so. All donations, of course, are very gratefully received. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.